from Seattle, Washington. I'm Zach Chabal, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes so we can focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Maximilian Riedel. He's the CEO and president of Riedel. And Maximilian, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, this is an interview that I've been really looking forward to because you know, for someone like me who's worked in the wine industry for quite a long time, your company's glasses are ubiquitous. You know, they're, they're, I touch one, well, a lot of them actually in most days. And even now at home, they're what I drink out of personally. But, but I will say, I wanted to start with just a little bit about um, the history of the company and, and your family's history as um, glass manufacturers. Yeah. Thank you, Zach, because uh, our history is long and has obviously many, many stories to tell. Fact is that we are celebrating this year our 265th anniversary. Wow. We are in the 11th generation. And so we take our job very serious. And obviously, the family was not always in the production of wine glasses, but always in the production of glass. So glass is what we breathe, is what we know best. And we have turned uh, art pieces, decorative glassware and perfume bottles, all the knowledge that we had and turned it into professional wine glasses. And when did the manufacture of wine glasses themselves start? Actually, after World War II, prior to okay. World War II, my family, they were Sudeten Germans, which means they were Bohemians in Bohemia. And the family operated many, many factories of uh, pressed glassware. It, the glassware traveled all the, uh, all around the world then already. They were also famous for glass beads production for jewelry. So this is what they okay. did originally. And after World War II, my grandfather, uh, who was in the German army as a, as a soldier, uh, found himself, uh, in Austria as a very young man. And here he was looking for a glass factory because he was searching for work. There was absolutely no communication with home, with homeland. So he restarted and he was lucky to meet at the right time, the right people who gave him shelter, money to, to study. Uh, and, uh, and then he had a vision. He had a vision of, uh, thin, handmade, mouth-blown glassware. And this was the beginning. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about the, the methodology. And I'm wondering, you know, I will admit my own ignorance of this, but, but maybe you can give us just a little bit of an explanation of, of how, um, a fine wine glass is made. Well, the production process, uh, is, is not an easy one. Of course, at Riedel, and we're one of the few leftovers, we have handmade production. But of course, our dominance is nowadays machine-made production. We produce everything in Europe. Handmade mouth blown in Kufstein, Austria. This is where we have our headquarters in Tirol. Uh, we are surrounded by the most beautiful mountain scenery. And the machine production is in Bavaria, Germany. I always say so that people know where that is. Our glassmakers all wear lederhosen and they all know how to yodel, which is obviously <laughs> not true, but uh, it's always a nice little story that I like to, to share. Sure. The process itself, yeah, the glass making is a history that dates back 4,000 years in the making. Uh, the raw materials in 4,000 years have changed very little. So the key ingredient is quartz sand and the best source is in Bavaria, Germany. And that's why us and also our biggest competitors, we are all in, in a village 
because this is where the raw material comes from. And this obviously is, uh, is just one of the key ingredients. We melt uh, this kind of mixture of different ingredients and overnight we produce glass. And out of that, with many skilled glassmakers, we can actually produce uh, our fine wine glasses. On the machine, we use the same ingredients, but of course, we, we melt a bigger volume and we have machines doing the same job as a glassmaker, as a person here in Austria. And so, you know, what is the, well, let's start with this question. About how much time does it take to make an individual glass? I mean, obviously, I'm sure that varies a little bit depend, for, for the ones that are hand blown. For, I'm sure that varies a little bit depending on the shape and all that. But what's like about how long does it take a, a skilled glass blower to make a glass? Well, glass making is a team effort. It's one of those okay. few jobs where if you do it manually, you need a team and the team okay. needs to work together, uh, entwined. Uh, and they depend on each other. Good. So meaning when somebody needs to have a coffee break, the whole production comes to a standstill because every person, and it's a team of three to five people, has a very significant uh, part of the job to create a glass. And it's not done by just shaping it. You have to remove it from the glass maker's pipe and you put it into an oven an oven that is about, uh, yeah, 30 meters long because that's okay. the time that it takes to cool off. If you cool glass too quickly, it will explode in, in shatter in small pieces because there's too much tension in the glass. So you need this aligning oven where, uh, you start at a higher temperature of 300 degrees and it slows down as it walks itself through this cooling oven where okay. you're, you're starting at 300 degrees Celsius and you end at about 60 degrees. And this takes about two hours. And then you have to, well, it's a long process. And then you have to remove the part which was connecting the glass to the glassmaker's pipe, okay. which is another person. Uh, then you have to uh, fire polish the rim. So it's, it is a process. It is really a manufacturing process. And I think that whoever likes glasses, real glasses, and comes and visits us here in Kufstein where you can see and watch the entire process, I think the value increases because you see how many steps are involved. So I'm wondering, you know, with any kind of manual process like that, does the kind of remarkable consistency and uniformity of the glassware, is that just because the people making the glassware are very experienced and skilled? Or, or how do you kind of um, ensure that kind of consistency and uniformity? Because obviously, you know, an individual glass, you know, we, we all could appreciate something that's unique, but I imagine that when you're, you know, you have a business, you do kind of need them to all be the same or very close to the same. Yeah. So our glasses, our wine glasses are fine tuned instruments. So if there is uh, a difference from one to the next, our philosophy would not work. That's the reason why the glassmaker blows the bowl in a, in a form, in a shape, uh, that is uh, pre-directed by the mold. So we're blowing it into a mold, guaranteeing and making sure that whatever comes out at the end of the production run is the same. Of course, it's handmade. It will not be 100% the same, but it is the same. That's different to our decanters, which are free formed. There, okay. 
each piece is somewhat individual. They all look alike, they feel alike, but if you put them side by side, there's a difference. This must not happen with our wine glasses. And so one thing that's very interesting to me, and I would love your thoughts on, are, you know, over the years, um, the, you know, Riedel has added a number of different types of glassware, um, I'm sure both machine manufactured and hand blown to the product line. Kind of how do you, how do you develop new glassware, both, both wine glasses, and then I'd be also curious, I know you've added sort of cocktail glasses, uh, and I think beer glasses also. So, so how does that kind of new product development come about? Well, first of all, it's a family business. Yes, we have over a thousand employees and yes, we produce 60 million glasses a year, but we are a family business in the 11th generation. So we have never hired a designer. Good. For us, form follows function. And this was started by my grandfather, Professor Klaus Riedel. So you need the passion and love for wine. If you don't have it, you cannot become a wine glass maker. Good. So you need to understand the different kinds of beverages, being it wine, a spirit, a beer, or even Coca-Cola, a coffee. Those are glasses that we have developed. And so this is where you need to have the knowledge of the beverage first before you can shape the glass towards or create a design towards the functionality. We never do this ourselves, meaning we, we, we design it, we develop it, we blow it. Yes, we do that part. But for example, at Riedel, all the wine glasses are grape varietal specific. So let's talk, talk about a grape. You're in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. You make beautiful cabernets. You make uh, wonderful Pinot Noirs. And so obviously we're talking about a specific shape and uh, you have annually a Pinot Noir festival and this once, yeah, motivated us to work with the Washington and uh, wine producers led by some French families uh, to come forward with a wine glass, a Pinot Noir glass, which is truly uh, designed to enhance New World Pinot Noir, oh, Oregon Pinot Noir. Good. So Oregon Pinot Noir. Uh, and, and together with the winemakers, we shaped the glass. It's not that it was not a process of designing and being artsy, crafty. No, we had existing glasses for Pinot Noir and we had samples of uh, Oregon Pinot Noir, for example. And with those samples, we developed some prototypes, which we took all the way to, to the West Coast. We took them to Oregon and many local wine producers participated with their own wines. And we did a workshop, a real workshop where we poured their wine into the different shaped real glasses. And we were looking within what we had produced, the two, three glasses where the individual winemakers agreed this one shows the fruit best, this one the acidity, this one the minerality. So the task was to come forward with existing shapes, which we took back home, out of which we created more prototypes where we said, okay, this one highlighted the fruit, this one the parfum, the minerality, the acidity. And we came forward with another series of prototypes. And again, we knocked on the doors of the winemakers, which they happily opened because they saw in the glass the messenger of their wine. And with them, we finalized the process until all of the winemakers agreed on one shape where they all said, my wine shows best in this glass. So it's a process. It's a development. It's a partnership. It's a friendship between real and the winemakers. 
which they see our glass, the stage on which their wine can show. So I'm I'm especially curious. I know um, when I reached out to to set up this interview, one of the newer products that you have unveiled are the sort of wine wings glasses, and I'll we'll include a link in the show description for people who want to take a look at the collection and and understand it. But I would be really curious to get your thoughts on and maybe a little bit about how that specific line was developed as well, because they're a little different sort of stylistically than the than the other Riedel glasses. With pleasure. So Riedel wine wings is brand new. Riedel Wine Wings is something that my father produced by himself, meaning he had the design idea, he had the vision, uh, and he created it based on existing shapes. So obviously the work that was done prior to craft the Pinot Noir, the Cabernet glass, was not lost. This is always the basic ingredient for us that we utilize to develop something new. So what Wine Wings has in comparison to all the other existing real glasses, it has a flat bottom, which we first studied internally. We created prototypes. We served friends and family in those glasses. And we learned how, what the reaction was. Because when we develop something new, it must keep up with the existing or be even better. And this is the result, which is real Wine Wings. And so at this point, I know you have a number of different uh, sort of uh, glasses for different varieties. Is the, is there, is the intention to have sort of the same breadth of offerings as you do with sort of the more traditional shaped glass? Well, the people are hungry for newness. It starts with the retailer. Good. The retailer always knocks on the door of the manufacturer and says anything new because of course they want to excite their, their, their customers. But this is not only new, meaning a new shape of what is existing. It's a further development. And very important to understand is the world of wine. If you know the world of wine and you try to understand it, you know that everybody talks about global warming. Global warming in certain areas has a positive impact, believe it or not, in areas where wine growing has a tradition, but because of the short ripening process, the wines were never up to global standards, like in Austria, good, like uh, in, in, in m- most uh, Eastern countries. So... Obviously, on the West Coast, you have a problem with it because you have to deal with it. You have maybe too much sun, too much sun exposure. You have a lot of fruit that has a sunburn and all these kind of things, which, of course, the winemaker can influence. But nowadays, everybody is looking for organic wines. So the influence is very little that we can do. So the fruit is exposed to to energy, which is sunlight. Good. And, and so the wines are very concentrated. And which is good. I like those concentrated fruit forward wines uh, with a little bit of a side impact, which is higher in alcohol. I mean, I know wines from Napa Valley dating back to the 70s and 80s. I wasn't born maybe then, but I'm drinking these wines. And I was growing up with these wines since my family is very close to the Mondavi family. And the wines of those days from Napa Valley had somewhere between 115 to maximum 13% of alcohol. Nowadays, you have them up to 15% alcohol. Good. So uh, alcohol in wine is like fat in meat. Good. It's nothing bad. Uh, add some flavor. It's a flavor enhancer, but it is an issue uh, that people need to deal with. And, and so what I want to come to is because of these big fruit forward wines, also, our glasses had to change. They had to grow with the wine industry. And they grew, sadly, also in size, which a lot of consumers 
maybe mislike. They blame us for those big glasses, but those modern wines need those big glasses to shine. And actually, they all must be aerated, good? Because these wines, are, they, they are immortals. They can surpass from generation to generation. And we want to have wines that are ready to drink. And to, the only way to get these wines to open up is by aerating them in a nice decanter and serving them in a big wine glass. So I, I have a couple more questions for you. The first is, I think, this is going to be always a little tricky question to answer, but you know, for many of our listeners who who have real glassware at home, you know, there, there may be a different answer depending on what they have. But in your experience, what's the best way for the average home consumer to take care of their glassware? Because obviously, I think for a lot of people, they see, like for me, even personally, some of my uh, glassware that I love most dearly were wedding presents. Uh, I was very proud to get them, but you know, they're. I'm always a little bit afraid to use them because I'm worried about breaking them or worried about cleaning them. So I'm wondering, you know, do you have suggestions for kind of taking care of the glassware beyond obviously to like, you know, don't drop it, but <laughs> you know, other, other things that people could maybe take some, uh, uh, could, could take uh, some advice from. Absolutely. I have many advices because people think I, I live off broken glasses. It actually <laughs> makes me very unhappy when one of my babies breaks. So sure. rule number one, storage. Let's say wedding gift, you got eight glasses uh, of, of one particular kind, but it's only the two of you at home. So you always use the same glasses. You never think of rotating your glassware, which is very bad because where you store them, it can have an impact. Let's say you have a cabinet, which is new and it sm still smells like lacquer, color, lacquer. So this yep. can have a, a tremendous impact on your glasses. Not only that the glasses start to adopt the smell and, and, and create this kind of stink, but also the lacquer steams and this kind of, uh, steaming, especially when you have a temperature change due to the seasons of the year, uh, the hotter it gets, the more the cabinet starts to steam. The glasses absorb this and the glass surface is very porous, like your skin. So they adopt this and the glasses get dull. They lose their brilliance and okay. people blame the glassmaker. It's not my fault. It's the way how you store your glasses. So then number one is where you store them. Rotate your glasses. Don't always use the same. Also reach out for those in the back of the kitchen cabinet. Rule number one. Rule number two, a real wine glass is a workhorse. It was developed for you to have daily a performance. You pour your wine and you drink it. Grape bridal specific. You have a Chardonnay, you put in the Chardonnay, you have a Pinot Noir and many more depending on, on what styles of wine you like. I'm, I like Chardonnay, I like Cabernet, I like Pinot. So those are the three glasses I would have at home and I rotate because I cook differently. I have friends that are coming. I know they like white wine, so I serve my Chardonnay. So uh, important to understand that you have multiple glasses at home. Uh, and, and, and since Riedel is a workhorse, you should treat it like this. You put it in a dishwasher. Good. Put okay. the Riedel glass in a dishwasher. Don't hurt yourself after a nice evening. Maybe you had a glass too many trying to force it into, uh, into your sink. Uh, and break it and, and injure yourself. Don't do that. There is no need. Good. And when the real glass is in the, in the dishwasher and you, and you wash it more than 1000 times, yes, it can have scratches. Yes, it can lose its brilliance over time. It's erosion. It's very normal. That happens. Throw them away and replace them with some new ones. Good. It's a workhorse. Of course, now comes the question. 
I have some other brands at home or I have a real handmade glass at home. So real sommelier is handmade. A glass costs $100 plus. You have some waterford at home with beautiful decoration. You have some bucker at home with some color. No, do not put those into the dishwasher. Good. Because the color can wash off. Uh, the glass is much thicker. So uh, tension can... Uh, uh, can start in the glass because it's a hot dishwasher. You have a cool glass and the thicker the glass, the more tension breakage can occur. So handmade glasses, I suggest that you wash by hand. Machine-made glasses, wine glasses from Riedel, you can put into the dishwasher. And then, uh, because this is my own personal struggle, what about cleaning a decanter? Because that's the one I have the most trouble with. Well, if it's a real decanter and they can be beautiful, they can be fancy, but also very functional. The best to wash them is if the sink is big enough, uh, put it into the sink. Otherwise, take them to the bathtub. And that's not a joke. Oh, and I want oh, everybody who listens to use your decanter daily because every wine deserves this kind of uh, wow experience of decanting it. We decant old wine to split wine from its sediment. We aerate young wines. Good for them to wake up, to, to, to mature during the process of drinking it, of enjoying it. Red wine, white wine, rosé wine, sparkling wine, all of this can be decanted. Of course, you have to have different techniques. A sparkling wine, a champagne, I would never decant fast. I would do it very slow, but also young champagne can benefit from that. Prosecco, don't decant. Good. There is no benefit because you will lose the bubbles which are artificial added to the wine. So there I would not do it. But with champagne, the method of champenoise, you can definitely uh, decant it. Well, that the bathtub idea is a good one. I've never thought about that, but I should, uh, well, I should take that. Exactly. What I suggest, people are always complaining about red wine stains. Good. So after a nice meal, uh, rinse the decanter once with warm water. Fill it with warm water and let it sit overnight. This kind of warm water has an impact. It will absorb all the color pixels uh, that are left in the decanter. Even though you rinsed it once or twice, let it sit with warm water. The next day, empty it. Soap the outside. There is no need to put soap into the decanter. You run the risk of having some leftovers and soap and wine does not go well together. Good. So I do not recommend that. So soap the outside because you had greasy fingers, etc. The inside, uh, after rinsing it a couple of times, you should be fine. Wine is cleaner than water. Good. Let's not forget yeah. that. It has been filtered, etc. You know the process. So there's, there's nothing which is bad in a decanter after rinsing it with some water. Wonderful. Well, Maximilian, thank you so much for your time. Really fascinating to hear a little bit more about how these uh, ubiquitous glasses in the wine industry are made and um, look forward to seeing kind of the continued development and specialization of the glassware. And uh, it's a little early in the morning here. I would say I would be drinking a glass of wine, but it's the morning here in Seattle, so I have my coffee, but but I will get around to uh, a glass of wine and a real glass tonight and I will uh, think about this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you for taking the time uh, for letting me speak about the wonderful world of wine and obviously the loudspeaker, the real glass. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal 
who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making the show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.